0: Our scripture reading this evening is Ecclesiastes 11 verses 1 through 6. This passage is a bit of a strange one, even stranger than the rest of Ecclesiastes, and so I want to introduce it a bit here before I read it. This evening we are lingering for another Lord's day on Lord's day 49 of the catechism so the petition of the apostle the petition of the Lord's prayer saying your will be done. There is something the catechism does not address but it is a question invited I think by what the catechism says and I want to take the time to answer the question and the question is simply this when you have a decision you need to make about something very important How can you know what God's will is for your life? The question of the Lord's Prayer is, your will be done. Is perhaps one of the things we are praying when we pray that, God, help me decide what to do, and and what would it mean to pray that? So that is the question this evening. How do we make a decision about what God's will is for our life, and we have a difficult decision in front of us? Now, I'm trusting that for many of you, that sounds like an interesting question. If it doesn't sound interesting to you, well, that seems strange. It's an interesting question, all right? But if it doesn't, it is my goal that the way of answering it will be gospel. And so the question sounds very practical, but some of the most important ways of answering it, of arriving at an answer to that question, is to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even if that particular question does not grab you, I do think it's invited by the catechism, and the goal, even in this, is the announcement of the gospel. How does that introduce Ecclesiastes 11? Well, these verses amount to saying, at some point, you just have to make a decision. Do something. That's what these verses are saying. Ecclesiastes 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, our heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners conceived and born in sin, unable of ourselves to do any good but we repent of our sins and we seek your grace to help us in our remaining weakness. Through the teaching of your word, which we confess with your church throughout the ages, satisfy our hunger and quench our thirst with your refreshing truth that we with all our hearts may love and serve you with our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God who lives and reigns forever. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our lesson from the Heidelberg Catechism is Lord's Day 49. I invite you to turn with me in the back of your Psalter hymnals to page 895. as we read this question and answer, you can already now have in mind the particular question we are asking. How would, uh, what the catechism says here answers the question of what is God's will? Lord's Day 49, what does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. All right, your will be done. This first point is going to be a little bit of a review from last week, and the new question begins at point number two. But first, to make sure we remember what we saw last week, Number one, your will be done. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray for God's will to be done. But what is God's will? In our catechism lesson last Sunday evening, there were two ways of speaking of God's will that were spoken of in the sermon, two ways that are present in the Heidelberg Catechism. First, letter A, there is God's secret will. What we mean by God's secret will is that which he has planned from eternity. What the scriptures speak of in a place like Ephesians 1 verse 11, where it says, The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is God's plan from eternity for the whole timeline, how the world will go. Now, this is not the main thing we are praying about in the Lord's Prayer, though it is part of it. But when we say, your will be done, what we are doing is we are are submitting to, we are welcoming, we are saying that God's will in the sense of his eternal plan for all of reality is good. Notice that this is the will that cannot be changed. It is not up to you whether or not you will do this, whether or not it will happen. God's will in the sense of his decree, his secret plan will happen. Again, Ephesians 1, all things are worked according to the counsel of his will. This already in prayer, though it is mysterious, is a comfort. Our children just confessed before us, Lord's Day, one of the catechism, all things must work together for my salvation. This is a confidence expressed in God's secret will, expressed in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And for the sound crew, I'm getting that reverb thing again. We may have to talk about this later. Maybe I'm the problem and I'll stop complaining. But just in case I'm not the problem. In this sense of God's secret will, it is something he does not tell us. We don't know it, but we know that he is the sovereign Lord over all and that all things happen according to it. That is the first sense of God's will. There is a second sense, letter B, God's revealed will. Will. So when the scriptures say, your will be done, in the prayer, in other moments where that sort of thing is confessed, in the Psalms and prayers in scripture, often what it is speaking of is that secret will of God, his decree, his plan for all of reality. But there's another way that God speaks of his will, and that is the idea of his law, his commandments, things he says in scripture about how we ought to live. When God says, you shall not murder, that is his will. His will is that people would not murder but it is a will that people can go against. It's a will that's revealed, but people can choose to do otherwise. And so you have to, the important point to grasp here is that these are two very different ways of speaking of God's will. And both of them are in view in the prayer, your will be done. There is the, the, the aspect in view of all that happens is according to God's will, and you are submitting yourself to that. But then there is the sense of his secret, or of his revealed will, where you are saying, Let let the things that ought to happen, happen in the world. Let us live in a way that is accordance with your will, consistent with your will. Your will meaning what you have revealed in your word about how people should live. And there are places where the scriptures actually clearly distinguish these. One of the temptations in the Christian life, one of the temptations always for God's covenant people has been want to try to know more than what God has revealed, to want to try to peer behind things, to God's secret will, to know things about the future, for example, that God does not make known to us, and the Scriptures speak very clearly that God's people are called to humbly acknowledge that there are things we do not know, but that we do, but what we do know is enough. Deuteronomy twenty-nine verse twenty-nine is a a, a classic text to make this point. A text often used. In discussions, for example, about God's sovereignty and salvation and predestination and election and those sorts of things. These words The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we, we may do all the words of this law. So notice the distinction made. There are secret things, there are things God does not make known to us. Things, first of all, because he chooses not to, but also things because we are merely creatures, and there are things that simply would not fit in our minds. However, you want to understand the reason, there are things God does not reveal. There are also things he does reveal his revealed will, his laws, his commands, descriptions of the Christian life, how we are to live. We think of the reading a moment ago from the Beatitudes. Uh, those, those uh, virtues and characteristics that Jesus describes as being the citizens of his kingdom, all of that is God's revealed will. Here is how you should live. What we have to humbly confess is that what God has revealed is enough for life. And that is the point to the language there of Deuteronomy 29, verse 29. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. With what purpose that we may do all the words of this law? Don't don't think of law there as just individual commands. Think of it as Torah, as the covenant, as the whole way of life that God gives his people, including the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law that proclaim grace, the whole mode of relating to God as their covenant God. What God has revealed is enough. This is the way that is most in view in the Lord's Prayer, and it's what was emphasized in our catechism lesson last Sunday night. And we pray your will be done. We are praying for God's revealed will to more and more be reflected in how people live and, and the way things go in this world, right? Thus far, all clear and neat and tidy. If you're asking what is God's will, you're praying for God's will to be done, there's those two senses. Secret will we cannot know. The revealed will, very clear in Scripture. Number two, but what about, now I'm not filling in the blank yet here, but If you have a decision to make about choosing a different job or this kind of discussion is often given for young people, who you're going to marry, what college you're going to go to, if you have a difficult decision to make about how to navigate a complicated relationship or something that's difficult for you in life, did any of those two things I just said really answer anything? Well, maybe sort of, a little bit, but it's a little bit disappointing. What do we often mean? We mean, what is God's will for which job offer I should accept? What is God's will for whether or not I should stay with this comfortable salaried position or go start a business in a more risky way? What is God's will for, for when I should start a family? What is, you know, all of these questions, right? Well, those first two senses of God's will did not speak to any of those questions, at least not directly. And this is the point I want us to spend some time on this evening. But at that moment where you realize there's this area where it seemed like it didn't answer anything, this is a good thing. Number two, but what about? Within the boundaries of God's revealed will, there is not a will of God for such and such that we need to discover when making life decisions, nor are we praying for that to be made known when we pray, your will be done. That there summarizes the whole point for the rest of our time this evening. There is no third sense of God's will. And that's not what you're praying about. You're praying about those first two senses. Letter A, we pray for God's will to be done in the two senses noted above, but we do not pray for God to make hard decisions for us in ordinary life. Indeed, the scriptures are clear that God wants us to use wisdom. So here's, here's my worry, it's a worry pot just because I can imagine it, because I've done it, but also because I hear Christians talk this way all the time, that what we want to do is we, we're praying for God to like whisper in our ear what we should do. We're praying for God to zap us with some sort of special information about what his will is for whether we should take the job or not. And what I want to press upon us is that that is not what we are praying about, When we say, your will be done, we are not saying, God, make this decision for me. Rather, the scriptures are quite clear that God's not going to make the decision for you. He wants you to decide, and he wants you to do so in the way of using wisdom. Well, how do we see this scripturally? Well, I'm going to try to paint the picture for you for the rest of our time this evening, but but starting out asking how do we see it scripturally, The main way we see it scripturally is that this isn't in scripture, except for in very extraordinary situations. In very special, extraordinary situations where you have a particular leader ordained, anointed by God for a particular task, or certain moments in the New Testament where an apostle is being sent on a particular mission, in extremely extraordinary circumstances, we will see this kind of thing happen. Where God, in a special miraculous way, makes something known. But the point is that those circumstances are miraculous. And they are, as the saying goes, the exceptions that prove the rule. When it comes to the ordinary way, the ordinary life of God's people, it is very clear that God gives his people wisdom to use freely within the boundaries of what he has revealed. So I'm mean, gonna skipping ahead a little bit here. If you're wondering if you should become a bank robber or not. Well, God's revealed will answers that, all right? So when we say God wants you to decide and you get to make a decision using wisdom, it doesn't mean that anything goes. It's in the boundaries of his revealed will. But another way we know this can't be what we're praying about is that it makes no sense. I have uh, fond memories of my pastor when I was in college on this question of what do you mean when you pray your will be done, what, what What does this mean? talking about he was talking to college students so he was saying you know you're you're trying to figure out what is God's will for who you should marry and to make the point that that makes no sense he's like what if you marry the wrong person well now whoever they were supposed to marry is going to marry the wrong person whoever they were supposed to marry is going to marry the wrong person and the whole thing all falls apart pretty soon everyone's married to the wrong person The point is, it doesn't even make any sense for this to be how things are. That there is a particular path that God wants you to somehow figure out and you'd better get it right. It's not even reasonable for that to be the case. But most of all, scripturally, and this is the part I want to go on to show you a bit more here, is that that way of speaking rejects, I am convinced, sinfully, it rejects the biblical calling to grow in wisdom and maturity. We are not robots being bossed around by God at every point. It was in the language of our passage from Ephesians 4 this morning that God wants us to grow up into Christ and that that is along the path of growing in wisdom and maturity, which includes making our own decisions. So that when God, in his word, does not answer a particular question for you, it's purposeful. When the scriptures withhold a clear answer on a particular question, don't run away from that. Don't shake your fist at it. Don't pray for God to override it. Be thankful. God purposefully, wisely, perfectly, lovingly does not tell you certain things. Because he does not want you to always be, spiritually speaking, a two-year-old. But he wants you to grow into maturity spiritually uh, in, in, in the way of 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 following his wisdom. Now, why don't we like that? Why is it so hard just to say, God tells us some things, not other things. If he doesn't tell you, you get to make decisions. Why don't we like that? Well, it's scary, (laughs) right? And it's scary in some pretty deep ways, actually. I don't just mean scary because decisions are hard and it'd be nice not to have to make the decision. I mean, it's scary because we don't always trust That God favors us. We don't always trust that God truly delights in us, and we so often relate to the Christian life as though we have to earn or deserve something from God. Now, we won't say that theologically, but when we have a difficult decision in front of us, often the feeling lurking in there somewhere is God's approval of me depends upon me getting this right. So we need two things. Letter B, But sometimes that's scary, meaning God wants us to grow in wisdom. We need to be confident first that God's creation is good. B and C really go together. I'm not sure what the best order should be. I'm not sure which one's more important. I'm not making a claim about that here. But sometimes I think this is the biggest one. that You need to trust God that when he says, go do things in his creation, that the creation itself delights him that it is good. It's not about you finding the special spiritual path navigating an otherwise meaningless creation, but that the life of the creation and the good things of it and the kinds of things we can do within the boundaries of God's law are good. Sometimes I think what we want when we pray your will be done is we want God to give us a special something. That thing where we can know this is the thing by which I am pleasing God. And so we need to trust The Lord, when he says in Genesis 1, verse 31, that he looked at all the things he had made and said, it was very good. Your ordinary earthly calling right now, well, wait a minute, what do I need to say because of how we hear the word ordinarily? We think that meant like lesser. No, your ordinary earthly calling right now is part of that creation that God declared very good. And I think it's often that confidence that we lack when we want your will to be done to somehow short-circuit ordinary stuff. Letter C. We need to be confident, second, that we are God's adopted children, justified in Christ and being sanctified by the Spirit. What I wanted to cite here was basically all of Ephesians. I'm going to do that later for Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, so let's be more specific. Ephesians. As you go about making decisions freely in life, as you pray to God your will be done, pray that confident in what God has already promised you, that you belong to Christ, that you have been raised to new life with Him, that you are His adopted child, and that He is the one at work in you by His Spirit. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let that energize you as you make a decision. That you make the decision as one who God has already said belongs to Him. As one God has already said has been saved by His grace as a gift of His grace. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You must, you get to receive those words as speaking to you directly. Speaking to you in particular. That God is at work in you by his Spirit. And that he does that not by way of telling you every last thing to do from the outside, but as working with the grain of who you are of your desires, your interests, your will, your, your, your navigating of life, and sincerely pursuing, what did Ephesians 4 say, growing up into maturity, growing up into Christ along the path of making those decisions. God's creation is good, and God has accepted you in Christ as his adopted child. Then, there are things in life where you get to make decisions. So, How do we do that? (laughs) Just say, okay, we got the theological foundation, the goodness of creation, our acceptance in Christ. We can't simply seek after God zapping us with some special insight into the particular special path we ought to take. Rather, God wants us to live freely within the boundaries of his revealed will. Okay, does the Bible then say anything about how we make a decision in that context? Indeed, it does. Letter A know, love, and embrace what God's word says. Here is the beginning, middle, and end, really, of this. This all assumes we must always be living within the boundaries of what God's word actually does reveal. So when we pray, your will be done, part of what we're praying is for that to be more clear, for that to be more known, for that to be more lived out. When we pray, your will be done, It's not setting aside the question of what we ought to do. It's rather establishing what those boundaries are. So every time the scriptures emphasize our freedom in this, in the way of wisdom, none of it ever takes away from we must be living within the boundaries of what God has revealed. Second, letter B. Pray for... Now, look, I, I gave you the scripture reference there. Some of you already have it filled in. Okay, fine. Pretend there's no scripture reference. When we have a decision to make, what do we want to put in that blank? Pray for, no, wisdom is the right answer, okay? Pray, not the right answer. Pray for answers, right? We say, God, tell me what to do. We say, God, show me the path. We say, God, open doors, close doors. We say, God, give me peace about a decision. All of that is cheating. All of that is quite possibly, now it depends on where our heart is in the moment, but all of that is quite possibly sinful. Because it's wanting to get out of the difficult thing God has just placed in front of us. That God wants us to navigate with what he has given. We don't say, God, give me answers. We don't say, God, open doors. I mean, open doors, that doesn't make a decision a good decision. You can have peace about something that was really bad to do. In fact, your lack of peace could just be indigestion. You don't know. That can't be what we're praying for. What ought we to pray for? So we pray your will be done. God's decree, his perfect secret will. We pray your will be done. God's revealed will, what he has told us, that we would live according to God's word. And then when that doesn't answer the question, we pray for wisdom. And the beauty of what James 1, verse 5 says is that it says, show clearly. Well, let's read it. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When you have something difficult in front of you, and you've exhausted the two appropriate meanings of praying, as our catechism says, your will be done, what remains is pray for wisdom. And the beauty of this is that James says very directly, God will give it to you. There's not a whole lot of prayers that we're told, when you pray this one, you know how God's going to answer. God gives generously to all, and we are told point-blank directly, and it will be given him. Brothers and sisters, let this be enough, that we pray for wisdom, confident in in God's giving it to us. We have the boundaries of God's revealed will. We are sure of his gospel promises, the goodness of creation. And now what should we seek to do? Letter C, be wise. The open door might be bad, the closed door might be the one you're supposed to go through, the sense of peace could be completely misleading. What do you need to do? Be wise. But what does that include? All sorts of things. This could be a whole another sermon. Be wise. What does it include? Be a faithful church member. Colossians 3, verse 16, "...let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God." One of the things you need for navigating decisions is the life of the church. That the church is one of the places in which wisdom is cultivated. And the the overall report of the scriptures would be that it is impossible to pursue wisdom faithfully apart from the life of the church. This is the means that God uses. When God gives you wisdom, one of the first things that wisdom will tell you to do is I need to get advice. That's your next blank. Proverbs 11, verse 14, about a multitude of counselors. Within the life of the church, seek advice. Now, what's really fun there is, of course, you need to be wise in how you seek advice, who you seek it from. You not simply seek it in a self-seeking way that you want to be corrected and balanced and that sort of thing. There's all sorts of ways to be foolish even in one's pursuit of wisdom. But I love the many places where the Proverbs basically says the key to wisdom is to seek wisdom. Pray for it and seek after it in the ways that God's revealed will says to seek after it. Honor your father and mother. One of the main means that God has given to pass on wisdom is through the generations. Now, it is possible for fathers and mothers to be foolish and to be sinful, but in the ordinary way of things, especially when you are younger, this is one of the main means that God has given to pursue the life of wisdom, is through those generational relationships. And honor your father and mother does not simply mean your biological father and mother. It means receiving wisdom from those who have gone before. Receiving wisdom from previous generations is a theme throughout God's word. And then finally, one more example, be smart about how the world works. And I'm citing all the Proverbs. I didn't say wise, okay? But a component of being wise is to be smart about how the world works. So one of the things God calls you to do when you have to make a decision is, I don't know, you've got to put together spreadsheets and stuff, right? That, that's, that's not unspiritual. Calculating, thinking in terms of the ordinary things of this life, because remember, God's creation is good. Stop trying to put a spiritual overlay on the thing that God has already said is good, which is your functioning as a human in God's good creation as one who is his adopted child. You don't need to add, I have peace about it on top of that. What you must be is be wise. And be wise in the ways in which Scripture, God's revealed will, calls us to seek to be wise. So when we have made a decision, you've finally done so, and you want to persuade someone that you've made the right decision, right? What should you say? You say, I just really have peace about this. No, 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 no. What do you say? You say, I know what God's word says. I have prayed for wisdom. I have sought advice. I'm seeking to live within God's good creation, and this is what I have decided to do. Own the decision. It is what the entire scriptural testimony is pointing you toward, is that that created reality of a difficult decision is a good thing. In other words, letter D, just do something. Ecclesiastes 11 describes the problem, especially at the end, of if you wait around for the perfect decision, you'll never do anything. That is the point there. Let's go ahead and look at those verses Look, but it's a little later than usual when we leave. Remember, it was the catechism program this evening. Verse 4 He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What is the point there? If you're looking for the perfect moment, you're gonna end up not doing anything. And scriptural wisdom says at some point you need to just act. Verse 1 cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Verse two describes dividing the risk. Give a portion to seven or even to eight for you know not what disaster may happen. Verse six, in the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or rather both alike will be good. Just do something and say, I've prayed for wisdom, I'm seeking to live faithfully as part of the church, this is what I have decided. And that created human goodness God delights in. And then, after all of that, letter E, relax. You see, here's the problem. We want more than that, right? We, we, we don't want to have to make the decision. We want God just to tell us what to do because so we can skip all of that difficult stuff. And here is a difficult thing we must acknowledge. At some point, you've got to just relax because you cannot engineer a perfect outcome. Here we cite all of Ecclesiastes. James 4, verse 13, what is your life? You are amiss, talking about those who are seeking to plan for the future. And and James says, no, we ought to say, if the Lord wills, right? You, You can't control and engineer this. You cannot engineer a perfect outcome. God has already approved what you do. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 10, commending simply the enjoyment, the ordinary enjoyment of life. And the grounds given is God's gracious approval. This is why I tried to emphasize number two, letter C. You are God's adopted children. I think so often what lurks behind our decision-making anxiety about God's will is we think we're earning His favor. We don't begin being sure of His favor in Christ. And then finally, your Heavenly Father remembers that you are dust. Psalm 103, verse 14. Isn't that one of the main objections you think of at this point? You say, but I'm just me. I only know what I know. I've only had the experiences I've had. I only have this much wisdom. I only have this much opportunity. I'm aware of how one decision could be better than another. And there's all these reasons to doubt your ability to make a decision. God knows that about you. And he is the one who has only revealed what he has revealed. And what he has given you and not given you, is in the context of his perfect knowledge of your weaknesses, his perfect knowledge of your limitations. What beautiful language in Psalm 103. All, All of that limitation that you would use as an objection, God says he knows, he knows all of that. And it is knowing all of that, that he gives you what he has given you in his revealed will. You see, we don't want to admit that the world is messed up and we are just creatures. We want some sort of secret access to some secret plan that will avoid all of that. But only God can set all things right. Indeed, Ecclesiastes, so often accused of being dark and negative, negative. one of the reasons it says such things about, you know what, just do something. If you wait too long, you're not going to do anything, is it says, you know what, you can't fix what is crooked. You can't guarantee the outcome. And that's in the context, Ecclesiastes 3, of that the famous verse, he makes everything beautiful in its time. Letter F, In time, God alone can and will make everything beautiful. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your perfect eternal will, even as you have not made it known to us, that which is secret from us, for our confidence we can have in your perfect goodness and love We praise you for the beauty of your revealed will, how your word sheds light upon our path. And we praise you for the gift of wisdom. And so we pray that you would give us that wisdom that we need, that we might live faithfully as your people, confident in our status as your adopted children. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.